Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi there, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. It's about 1.35 in the afternoon here on the East Coast of the United States. Colonel McGregor joins us now. Colonel, thank you very much uh, for coming back to the show. When we were uh, last, or since we were last together, uh, the Secretary of the Treasury made a surprise trip uh, to Kiev, Ukraine, uh, and handed President Zelensky a piece of paper which purported to be a check for $1.8 billion. It's, it's almost inconceivable to me that she would actually hand him a check and somebody would go and deposit it in a Kiev bank. But she did say that she brought $1.8 billion in financial reserves, a.k.a. cash with her. How dangerous and absurd is it to, to uh, uh, trust that amount of cash in the hands of a regime like Zelensky heads? Well, it's hard to believe that uh, the money was just dumped on Zelensky. Uh, I, I doubt that that's the case. But as you point out, this is probably the most or one of the most corrupt nations in the world. Zelensky and his regime sit on top of a huge mountain of corruption. But keep in mind, we own Ukraine as far as the state goes, as far as the government and its military are concerned. We pay for everything. We own it lock, stock, and barrel. And we've decided that regardless of what happens, we're going to essentially sail this ship uh, despite how many icebergs it may strike. And I think it's already struck a, one and the ship is already sinking. But, you know, we're, we, we don't seem to care about that. We're more worried about how we look than what really happens. You uh, recently said Ukraine is destroyed. There's nothing left. Can you elaborate on that, Colonel? Well, if you look at the cities, uh, I think it was Graham Allison, uh, who, uh, whose landmark work, of course, goes back to the 1960s and 70s about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And he <clears throat> observed that uh, in addition to the Russians sitting on virtually everything that is of any value to Ukraine, uh, 80, 90 percent of its uh, gross domestic product, effectively, its mineral resources, oil, gas, coal, uh, steel production, factories, Forty uh, percent of uh, Ukraine's urban centers are largely destroyed mm. because the Ukrainian army positioned its forces in those areas and the Russians had no choice but to attack them. And they've had to attack air defense assets positioned in urban areas. The transportation infrastructure is in terrible shape. Uh, they can't move very much anymore. And when they do, they're immediately at risk. Communications are down. Millions more are trying to get out of the country. We don't really know how many people are left in it. So for all intents and purposes, I would argue this this place is destroyed. How are we going to get it back? I, I have no idea. Well, Ukraine was once called the breadbasket of fill-in-the-blank, Eastern Europe, the West, yeah. whatever, because it sold so much wheat. What yes. has become of those fields of wheat? 
Well, we have to assume that uh, some of it is being has survived and will be grown, but you're not going to see the kind of harvest that we've seen in the past until quite recently the the most impressive harvest in the history of Ukraine occurred in 1915. Believe it or not, uh, communism just about destroyed uh, the agricultural sector and it took decades to recover from that. So, you know, it's 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 a tragedy, but we don't seem to have a, a coherent military strategy, but we have a damn good media strategy. Well, the media strategy is who knows who else is going to go to Ukraine. I mean, with Secretary Yellen, with Secretary Blinken, he didn't have a check for one point eight billion or he didn't claim that he had a check. So we don't know what what promises he made or conversations he had. Uh, but of course, the administration makes a big deal out of that. Uh, a man you and I admire a lot, uh, Congressman Andy Biggs uh, of Arizona, uh, not only for his uh, intellect, but also his fidelity to the Constitution and his personal uh, courage. He's like shoveling against the tide in the House of Representatives, um, uh, arguing that the government is spending us uh, into oblivion and that we shouldn't be sending uh, a blank check to Ukraine. Told me on the show earlier today. Uh, that the Defense Department assured him that we do not have any troops on the ground in Ukraine, that there are only contractors there. Now, do they call troops in civilian clothes contractors? Do they hire contractors outside civilians to show the Ukrainians how to run this equipment? Or is this just some sort of a word game that the DOD is playing? Congressman Biggs didn't believe a word they said, but they did say it to him. Well, as a general rule, not believing them is probably a good thing to do. Uh, so I doubt that that's actually the case. But uh, contractor simply means someone who wore a uniform yesterday and doesn't wear one today and is sent in to do whatever is required. And right now, Ukrainians have admitted that they, they really can't operate most of the equipment that they're receiving, which means that things like HIMARS, even these new tanks that are coming in, are going to have to be operated by contractors on behalf of the Ukrainian state. They've taken such very heavy losses that I know we're recruiting as many mercenaries as we can. And they're being paid through various front organizations by the CIA. Uh, so th this is our, we are desperate to keep this thing going. Ukraine is actually on life support. Let there be no doubt about it. But it, until the life support is cut, out, uh, cut off, it will continue. All right. So you say some of the tanks need uh, Americans to operate. The Americans who wore uniform yesterday are in civilian clothes today. Is it conceivable that some of these tanks are actually being manned by Americans? And when there are tank battles, Ukraine versus Russia, the Russians well, could be on. firing unwittingly or maybe wittingly at tanks that are being operated by Americans. Well, I don't think that uh, the Americans are the ones operating the tanks. I think more likely Europeans, Poles, Czechs, Germans, uh, Lithuanians, Latvians, perhaps uh, some uh, Norwegians, some British. Uh, I don't think the Americans are as involved in that as they are in uh, the intelligence business, transmitting information from satellite-based surveillance to the Ukrainians in real time to give them a leg up against the Russians. You know, that sort of thing, as well as obviously the more complex targeting uh, exercises and use of rocket artillery and so forth. I want to uh, put up on the screen a statement you uh, sent me earlier uh, this week. I don't know the source of this, uh, Schrodinger's Offensive. I gather this is some source that you have 
in Europe. On one extreme, there are those who believe that hundreds of thousands of Russian troops are prepared to launch an enormous big arrow offensive at any moment. On the other extreme, we have those who claim that the Russian military is so depleted there will be no offensive at any point whatsoever. Which of these positions is closer to the truth, Colonel? Well, actually, uh, this is an excellent article. It's called Schrodinger's Cat, the Russian Offensive. And the author is trying to make some, some valid points. And it appears that the Russian offensive, which we know is, has been planned, we know they have several options. We know they have hundreds of thousands of troops and the equipment they need to fight has been, has been held up. It's being held up for various reasons, one of which is, as the author points out, these so-called shaping attacks and operations in southern Ukraine to complete control of the Donbass have taken much longer than originally anticipated. That has something to do with the forests, the rivers, the terrain, and also right. the tenacity of the Ukrainian fighters. So it's taken the Russians longer to fight their way through this. They have fought their way through, and this place called Bakhmut is now prostrate, that's going to vanish as a possibility. I think the whole southern front will crumble. The problem is that the opportunity for any sort of ground offensive really presented itself in late January, early February, where the ground was solid enough to support a lot of troops. Someone made the decision, that's not enough time. We need more time for freedom of maneuver and, and uh, suspended it. And he's saying, well, maybe not. Maybe the whole plan is just to attrit the Ukrainians. Just keep killing large numbers of Ukrainian troops that present themselves on the battlefield. The Russians have certainly done a brilliant job of that. In January and February, the Ukrainians were losing 1,000 a day. There's no question about it. They're back down to about seven or 800. But the exchange ratio, even in these house-to-house -house fighting exercises with the Wagner group, whom they refer to as musicians, always involved one, one Russian killed or wounded for seven or eight Ukrainians killed or wounded. So that ratio continues to work against the Ukrainians. The problem with this assertion is that all warfare consists of both attrition and maneuver. And you always want to organize to maximize your exploitation of accurate, devastating firepower. We could go all the way back to Bonaparte and look how he planned his artillery strikes and massed his forces to take advantage of them. This is an old, an old thing. It, doesn't, it hasn't changed except that now the precision is much more accurate. The, the timing is almost immediate. But you still have to exploit it. And the point is, this war will not end. And I think this is what the Russians are concluding. It will not end until they have hundreds of thousands of troops around Kiev. And it's very simple. Life support continues. The uh, level of assistance that comes through Poland is not ended. In other words, they're continuing to be supplied. They're continuing to get money. They're continuing to receive contract support, as you point out. They're continuing to get mercenary support, which is another form of contract support. So the Russians know you, you can't win this thing by simply killing people because you're going to be killing them over and over and over again for a long time. You're going to have to move on the key point. That's Kiev. Okay. They've got to go there. I, I want to go back to something you said uh, a few minutes ago when you said that the CIA is recruiting mercenaries. Are those American mercenaries that the CIA is recruiting and giving American cash to? I think the CIA is an equal opportunity employer and will <laughs> pick up anyone who wants to go and fight for money. 
so I don't think you could say uh, it's American. It may not be. Look, we've done this before. We recruited marching yards and all sorts of people to fight for us in Vietnam. We've recruited even former members of ISIS to fight for us in the Middle East. Uh, this is an old uh, exercise. It's nothing new. Phil Giraldi can tell you more about it than I can. I, I'm just all I'm saying is that this life support is going to continue until the Russians themselves cut it off. The only way to cut it off is to cut the communications line between the Polish border and Kiev, block that, and bring the rest of the forces around Kiev and put an end to this regime. Because, you know, when I said the, the, the administration doesn't have a real strategy, it has a media strategy, I'm not kidding. Mm. I mean, what we've really decided to do is, well, we want to hurt Russia. No one really believes that Russia can be destroyed. No one in their right mind believes that the government is going to be overthrown. What we want to do is harm Russia, and we think if we harm it over time long enough that we can eventually persuade them to stop and go away. By the way, we took this position in Vietnam. We said if we kill enough of them, we fight them to a standstill, they'll give up. Well, we found out in 1974, no, they kept coming back until they finally won. So that won't work. But the media strategy is equally important because as long as you can visit Zelensky and he walks out in the open, and he demonstrates that he's the leader of Ukraine and he's surrounded by these troops and so forth, people think it could happen. People believe something could happen. It All won't. Right. Let, let me play for you uh, a portion of a documentary produced by the Ukraine government idolizing uh, President uh, Zelensky. I, I don't think you'll be startled by what he says at the end uh, this is a, about a 90-second clip. I don't think you'll be startled about what he says at the end, uh, but it was very, uh, very provocative. Now, this is in Ukraine, and there are subtitles. We may have to play it twice. The subtitles are small, but I, I think those watching us now uh, will appreciate the mania, and I'll let you assess that, Colonel, uh, that is going on. Take a look. Vladimir Putin просто відмовляв. Прямої відмови мені ніхто не робив, але всі лідери з ким я спілкувався говорили, що він не готовий спілкуватися. Чи є у вас зараз бажання чи намір спілкуватися? Ні. Зараз я не готовий з ним спілкуватися. Точно буде момент, коли буде відчуватися крихкість режима Путіна всередині їх держав. Тоді хижаки З'їдять хижака. Це дуже важливо, але їм потрібна буде причина для себе. І вони згадають слова Камарова, Зеленського, ще когось. Вони згадають. Він знайде для себе причину вбити вбивцю. Дуже красиво сказали. Ну, от, тим не менш, я думаю, що тому це не зайве. Чи це спрацює? Так, коли, я не знаю. I'm not ready to talk. The most incendiary thing is the predators will eat a predator. He's calling for an assassination of uh, President Putin. How dangerous and uh, unstable is he? Well, it sounds like Mr. Zelensky has been coached by Lindsey Graham. I think, I think they, they've said essentially the same thing over and over and over again. If we press hard enough, push long enough, survive this, well, people will eventually overthrow Putin. There's no evidence for this. This is more evidence-free 
analysis, claims that have no basis in fact. I would say that uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Putin is far more secure in his position than Mr. Zelensky is in his. And Mr. Zelensky should be far more concerned that people around him suddenly decide that they either no longer need him or he's outlived his utility. And he could easily disappear. The United States, we, we always forget this. The United States is a maritime and an aerospace power. I keep telling people this. When things go bad and they don't serve our purposes anymore, we get into our ships and our airplanes, we fly and sail away. Zelensky has nowhere to sail unless we take him with us. Uh, the Russians aren't going anywhere. The Europeans on the other side of the border aren't going anywhere. That's the difference. So I would say he's in far, far greater jeopardy every day. Every morning when he wakes up, I'm sure he's grateful to be breathing. And it may not last much longer. Look, we had reports today that the Ukrainians are evacuating women, children, families, civilians yeah. from the Kharkov area. Yeah, I saw those reports. I mean, the Ukrainians know this is coming, this, this major offensive. And they've already been beaten to a pulp by effectively elite light infantry formations and artillery from the Russian army. They haven't even faced the main body that would come in a major attack. And they're in very serious condition because he's thrown everything he can into every counterattack. He's, he's got almost nothing left. This was the folly of his action. But if you're him, you've got to demonstrate, look, I'm alive. We're fighting. We can still win. If he doesn't do something, people will say, well, maybe we shouldn't support him anymore. He knows right, that. Right, That's right. all. This morning uh, in Mumbai, India, at a meeting of the G20, or maybe it was actually yesterday by now, uh, Secretary of State Blinken took his opposite number uh, from Russia, the Russian foreign minister aside, and they spoke for about 10 minutes. And according to the Secretary of State, he told them, we're going to keep supplying Ukraine no matter what it takes. Do you think he really said, how about we start some back-channel negotiations? Or is he foolish enough, crazy enough to have missed uh, that opportunity just to mouth the Biden administration macho line? Well, that's an unfair question because I'm compelled to say yes to the second part. <laughs> I know your opinion of him. Well, it's not just him. I don't know him personally. Maybe a terribly nice guy. That's not the point. The point is that he and his uh, co-conspirators in the White House and in the, the federal bureaucracy do not live in the same world that you and I do. They've concluded that they're right and that they're morally superior to everyone else and that whatever they do is justified. They also completely dismiss out of hand the possibility that we are on the edge of a financial crisis that could destroy us. They refuse to see that. That's why someone like Andy Biggs warnings fall on deaf ears. Well, you know, this is the crowd that says debt doesn't matter. What difference does mm -hmm. debt make? We control the financial system. Well, good luck with that. That hasn't worked in the last 5,000 years very well. I don't think it's going to work out for us very well. So I'm afraid he probably said something stupid like that. And, and having seen Mr. Lavrov at close range, where right, I was fortunate to sit with 10 other people and listen to him at lunch a couple of years ago, I'm sure that Lavrov was polite because he is a gentleman. And he probably walked away and said, thank you for reaffirming or reconfirming what we already know, which goes back to my original point. You can kill large numbers of Ukrainians indefinitely. You can destroy infrastructure indefinitely. At some point, you've got to move your force into action. You don't waste time diverting south into Odessa 
You don't turn around and take Kharkov. You go to Kiev and you crush it. That's what must happen because when that happens, the game is over. It's up. Colonel Doug McGregor, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you very much for joining us today. Sure. Thank you. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.